Everybody, okay? No one, no one gets a pass today. Ready, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Recommended Daily Dose. I'm your host, Dr. Clinton Coleman, along with my colleague, Dr. Sarad Sugger. We are happy to have the myth, the man, the legend, Dr. Need Darko. He is a trauma surgeon. He's an entrepreneur. Everything that I, I want to be and aspire to be. He's also a podcaster and best-selling author. He's a host of Doc Outside the Box, which is one of Apple's top 100 uh, podcasts and careers. Um, where he talks about doctors doing extraordinary things outside of medicine to try to help us inspire to do things differently. Um, so, you know, I subscribe to it and I find it very valuable. So hopefully got, you guys are subscribed. But we wanted to welcome Dr. Darko to the show today. Hey, thanks for joining thank you for us, having man. me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm really a big fan of you guys. Um, and thank you for letting me come on your platform. Appreciate it. You know, before we start, I want to say it, you really sound like a better version of Clinton. So yes. maybe after this, if we could just drop yeah, Clinton, this, you, yeah, and me you and, and Dr. Siraj, you and I can take on the equally yeah, equally yeah, handsome. Dr. Siraj, we handsome, both go. Yeah. We go on the road together. Clinton, I, I, I like that. I like that. I mean, Clinton and <laughs> wow. I had a good ride. See, this is but you know, brown on brown crime. Brown on brown crime. <laughs> so we're, well, we're starting well, off on a bad yeah. note, though, but it's okay. So, Dr. Darko, you're a, a trauma surgeon, and we know that's intense. So what inspired you to be a trauma surgeon and, you know, what led you to do what you do now as far as podcasting and all the extra stuff you do? So, actually, um, I'm from Jersey. Um, my first experience with medicine was actually as a trauma surgeon, well, in trauma surgery. So I was I went to Lehigh University, and before the actual year started, there was this uh, minority uh, program that you would go to to try to help you acclimate from going from an inner city area to being at this school. It's pretty, these programs are pretty prominent. Um, and they had an alumni, minority alumni weekend where it's like alumni the fresh air fund, right? For basically, okay. basically, <laughs> basically, right? You know, you go out, you ride some horses. No, <laughs> but there was a there was a trauma surgeon there who went to Lehigh, but he'd practiced at uh, University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, uh, which is not too far from where I lived. Um, and at that point, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I just never had been in that type of uh, environment in a hospital. So he said, look, before the school year starts, why don't you come and spend um, some time with me and we'll see how it goes. So I was like, bet, let's do it. So literally a couple of weeks before actual school year started, my parents dropped me off right in front of University Hospital. Uh, Dr. Garrison came out and met me, talked to my parents. And, um, you know, I spent like several hours there. But literally as they were driving off, like his pager went off and he's like, yo, we got to get to work wow. and brought me into the ED. And I guess uh, there was a gentleman who got shot multiple times. He came in, he put me right in a corner far away where I could see, um, but I wouldn't get into the way. And it was fascinating. It was, you know, they brought this guy in, he was in pain, everybody's in their gowns and there's like people going all over the place, but it was almost like, like this, like he was like the maestro, like you go here, you go there. It's like this, chaos but it was like organized chaos right. the guy was screaming in pain they turn him on his side and i see like blood dripping from his back and it scared the heck out of me but i was still like man this is this is this is crazy and then after like a couple of minutes he was like enough that's it we gotta go upstairs and they took him upstairs i couldn't you know be in the or with him because i was still a volunteer at that moment but like you know a couple hours later he comes back out and i find him like giving a hug to the family and comforting them patient lived 
And I was like, that's it, man. That's what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be in charge like that. I want to kind of take someone to the operating room and then kind of be able to comfort a family member after that. And that was it. I was hooked. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I was just kind of like, hey, like, I want to be a trauma surgeon. But once I got into medical school, I was like, I'm going to keep an open mind. But it was always like surgery that just kept tugging at me. Like, this is kind of what I want to do. This is where I want to be. Fast forward, you know, I became, you know, I went into general surgery residency at, at Morehouse. And then I did a trauma surgery uh, fellowship at University of Miami. And it was time to look for a job. And I just started realizing that you would go on these interviews and, you know, they put their best foot forward. And they got jazz hands and they dance and telling you this is the reason why you need to come here. You spend eight hours there and then a couple of days later they send you this contract. And the contract was really restrictive. Yeah. And it was, you know, that whole process of negotiating was just really bad. It left a really bad taste in my mouth. We're not so taught that wife, in med school, right? We're not taught nah, that. Negotiate. We're not taught that in medical school. It was very intimidating. They're just like, just take it, just take it. So my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time. She said, why don't you consider locums? And I was like, locums, why, why should I do locums? And I completely turned and brought my nose up to it. And it was mainly because the other fellows weren't doing it, right? Which is actually, if you think about it, it's this really stupid reason not to do something, right? You're literally following the crowd. So after a couple of more times of this, where I was just like, and things that were a major issue was like, how often am I going to be on call? Like, what's going to happen if I go past that? Like things that we actually all should be asking questions about. So finally, I did locums. It was great. Um, I had to kind of, you know, learn, you know, to to handle, you know, difficult cases on my own. But I just started meeting people who were just doing some really interesting things. People who were working locums just to kind of support their life overseas you know, working in like Sierra Leone or Ivory Coast, doing medical mission work there, or people who had their own businesses, people who were doing locums and they were, you know, medical consultants for CBS or people who were coaching other doctors, um, people who were podcasting, people, it was just like, I didn't know about this world. Yeah. Right. I didn't know about this world. And I was like, how is it that, you know, I got this far into my education and I never knew anything about it. And you combine that with the fact that like I had a whole bunch of student loan debt me and my wife, almost uh, 700000 in student loan debt. And we were listening to podcasts like crazy, reading blogs. Started looking. I was like, wait, hold on. There's nothing out here really that's consistent that's talking about doctors who are enjoying what they do from a clinical standpoint, but really want to do some you know, amazing things outside of the hospital. Maybe wanted right. to like impact society more than what they do in the hospital walls. And I just said, look, let me start something. See what happens, put it on wax. First start off with interviewing my people in my network who are doing amazing things, and then the rest is history. We here now. So. Wow, that's great. You know, because you have that competing notion of, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit like yourself, and, and that comes with some risk, but as opposed to, you know, when I was in residency, I was making fifty thousand dollars a year. So the first job that's offering triple, quadruple that amount, you're like, you really I mean that's it's hard to compete against that. So I can see how, you know, the system is set up for you just to go from, to take the first contract that's given to you, unfortunately. But uh, it's good that people like you are serving as role models to let us know that we can do stuff outside of the traditional, you know, you know, medicine job. Yeah, I want to, you know, talk about role models. I mean, I even want to back it up a little bit because Clinton and I talk a lot about, um, you know, need for my, more minorities in medicine, right? And you need role models to even get into medicine. So, I mean, I, I was actually very struck by your conversation, Dr. Garrison, who, by the way, I knew also from residency. He worked oh, a lot. Oh, really? Of- Can I cut you off for yeah. a minute? So you did yeah. students uh, students in medicine and dentistry at UMDNJ. 
I did that program too. So really, yeah, it's such a small world. When uh, when I did that, I think two years in a row, right before med school, um, you know, and it was a trend like you like you. It was a transition from me, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do and actually, you know, working with some role models. So, you know, programs like that are you know change people's lives. So all right, go back. No, so I, all I'm saying is I, I think it's fantastic, that program you describe, you know, and, and uh, like I said, I knew Dr. Garrison actually also uh, in residency fellowship time. He worked a lot of different hospitals, but um, so I knew of him. But uh, I mean, I just how important you think that is for people coming up? You know, there's a lot of minorities are overrepresented in medicine. So I happen to be of East Asian uh, uh, descent and we actually have overrepresentation, but certainly a lot of other minorities are underrepresented. And how I mean, how important you think that is? Do you think you would have gotten into medicine? I mean, I, I find that fascinating. Do you think you would have gone into medicine if it wasn't for something like that program that exists? Especially if you're going from an urban setting to a very suburban setting like Lehigh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, you know, I think definitely the, the point of the program is to help you acclimate, you know, and make sure that you are um, really um, able to kind of handle the, the um, you know, the, uh, it, it's not the work actually. It's a change the, environment, right? It's a change, change in environment, the camaraderie that can be very difficult at times, right? Sure. And, um, you know, I think that these type of programs are really good in helping people who aren't used to being in a certain type of area to really mm -hmm. acclimate to that area so that you can really succeed because it, everything that's within the brain is everybody can compete on that level. It's just like, do you miss home? Um, are you happy? Is there a, an ability for you to kind of have a support system? Those are the things that are showing. That's huge. right, um, right you know, that are showing. And, you know, for me, I just remember, like, for example, like, I went to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, I went to this high school in Newark called St. Benedict's Prep, um, mm -hmm. which is right off of Martin Luther King Boulevard. And I remember taking the bus. And for four years, the bus would always go, you know, on Springfield Avenue past University Hospital, right? And I remember I would literally have dreams of, man, I always wanted to be a doctor. What's it like to be in there? And, you know, my other, you know, my classmates, you know, they were very high achieving classmates, but, you know, they weren't really interested in medicine. They were interested in engineering, maybe interested in um, artwork, something else. So to be able to connect with someone who actually is there, you know, right. to see that they can do it, that was really helpful for me. It's really important about pipeline programs, you know, because obviously if you can see someone who does it, it really makes it that much attainable. And I think uh, you Southeast Asians or... You, you, and you guys have a, a cultural pipeline, so it's like... We have two choices in life, you know. It's uh, medicine, or engineering. engineering, or Cookie Mart, or Cookie Mart. So it's one of those three, <laughs> three choices. It really was medicine or bust. That's really, it was kind of laid out, you know. Uh, engineering, something science-related. Um, uh, you know, it, that kind of has gotten away, I think, uh, you know, a lot more going into business. But, yeah, it was definitely something that I grew up with. So I think, but you take it for granted, but not everyone has those, I, I mean, just opportunities, like, you know, plenty of people smarter than me, obviously. I mean, maybe not Clinton, but certainly you, obviously. But, but you know, it's like you said, you're competing not just mentally in terms of how smart you are and academically, but also if you're not exposed to that, you may never pursue that, right? And so you have all the brains, you have all the, uh, the, the stamina to work hard, but if you're not exposed to that early on, you may just miss it. So I, 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 I think that's a fantastic um Fantastic signing program. I wish Clinton would do something more like that. I don't know if anyone would listen to him, but uh, we'll, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss that offline. So for people who don't know, locums doc is basically a temporary physician or a temp doc 
um, just like you have a temp agency and you would have a secretary that goes works for a significant or for a you know a small period of time to a significant period of time and, and you work at a hospital for however long and then you're done but when you're doing that when you're working in that fashion you are a independent contractor you are technically a business so one of my first experiences was being in a hospital working in a temp agency and there was a competing set of physicians who did exactly what I did but they worked as a group of doctors in their own business. And I found out they were getting paid literally 100% more than how I was per day. So basically the temp agency was taking anywhere between 30 to 50% wow. of sure. what I was doing. And it was just like the biggest gut punch that you can take because I'm the one who's doing a 24 hour call. I'm the one who's putting myself to litigation and malpractice. I'm the one who's operating past 24 hours yet you know, this agency is taking a significant chunk of money. And then I saw these physicians who were just coming together and forming their own group and getting 100% more than I was on a daily basis. What? So that once I figured that out, I was like, look, man, I got to go into business for myself. I got to figure it out. It was difficult at first. You know, you get nervous. Like, how is it going to be forming my own company to finding my own health insurance? Um, you know, how do I do my own, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, retirement? savings all these different things were really difficult and it was tough at first but you know that that pain of knowing that listen if i can just really understand this stuff i can literally bring myself more money you know i couldn't turn away uh, i couldn't turn a blind eye to that and right. that really started the whole concept of for me like wow like entrepreneurship really wasn't pressed hard in my family um, but once you see that example out there that's another example you see you're like i really got to take on you know this this concept and I really got to master it. And from there, I didn't look back. And I've always now just, you know, really fully embraced just kind of being in control of my own schedule, how I work. Um, even so you, have, you have your own LLC or PC, you, right? You, so you, you don't use a temp agency or, or locums uh, agency. You just go straight to hospitals themselves and you say, hey, I'm available for shifts or what have you. I mean, how, how do you even do get contracts? Like, you know, since you're not using a temp agency or, or absolutely. So, I created my own temp agency. So I'm my own temp agency. We're our own LLC. Um, mm. I have my own email address, website, and I contact the hospitals and say, you know, if you have a need for X, Y, and Z, I can provide X, Y, and Z. And then also um, we had OB-GYN doctors who were working with us also. So we were providing, my company was providing OB-GYN services um, for hospitals. You know, so it's just like you start to realize that, wow, not only can I take this concept for myself and bring in more money for myself, but I could also empower other physicians to right. have the lifestyle that they want by taking far less than what a normal temp agency company can, educating them on their finances and personal finance, paying off their debt, um, and then earning more money because I'm using technology, you know, to really get over that overhead that you would have to focus with another temp agency. So that's really huge for me. So what kind of, what kind of technology are we talking about there? Like what kind of technology that that that's like that right. you're able to cut down overhead? You're talking telehealth. Oh, yeah. Talking. No, no, uh, no, what? no. So 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 right now it's you know from from a you know traditional practicing um, OB gyn standpoint or a trauma surgery standpoint that stuff doesn't change. You have to be in a hospital for that. But we're right. talking about credentialing with virtual assistants. Mm -hmm. We're talking about virtual assistants who may be in the United States or maybe in the Philippines. We're talking about doctors put you know submitting their timesheets electronically by their phone as opposed to giving it to someone who has to type it up and you have to pay that person. Gotcha, so we're gotcha. credentialing. We're credentialing electronically, so I don't have to pay someone else you know, a significant amount of money, like 35000 or $40,000 to keep them on. And then that's going to, you know, take into the chunk of what physicians are going to make. Sure. I can do that all electronically. 
So that's where, you know, we're able to compete with the huge, large temp agencies and, you know, and get better rates. So do you think, just to backtrack, um, this entrepreneurial spirit is out of, I guess, not, I guess, away from traditional medicine. We do it because we have to, because, or, or you think that's just a natural transition because, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, doctors were just happy in their, in their practices. Now you see doctors doing stuff outside. I'm asking, are they doing it, you know, just to make more money, to have better quality of life, or just because we have to because reimbursement is so poor or the options are so different? How do you see that? Because you talk to so many people doing certain things outside of medicine. Mm. And Dr. Lena, I think you just, you just answered all of those and all three of those examples. That's the case. I think one... You know, first one is doctors realizing that this employed model really, for the most part, is not working for them in terms of reimbursement, how much money they're making, as well as trying to be in control of their lives. Um, as hospitals are realizing that it's important to take, you know, these standards of care with how we treat patients, it really has taken the autonomy away from the physician sure. and really focused on the hospital system way of treating people and taking care of people. So if you don't agree with something, you can face some backlash, right? Which is what we saw with some of these COVID-19, well, with COVID-19 and some of these ER physicians or physicians in general who maybe disagreed with some of their approaches of their hospital and right. received some of the backlash. So I think in that regard, that's causing some doctors to be more entrepreneurial. The second one is like you said, just being in control of your schedule more. Um, people are realizing that, hey man, I got into becoming a physician because I wanted to have you know, control. Right. And I don't have that. I wanted to, you know, spend some more time with my families. I think we're starting to see that previous generation of ours yeah. that did a good job with medicine, but high divorce rate, particularly in surgery, you know, mm -hmm. maybe estrangement from their children, you know, um, all the things that, you know, we don't want that can cause us to, you know, be working into our seventies because of divorce and so forth. You know, I think yeah. we're learning and catching on to that message and realizing that, listen, I need to be more balanced just for even my mental health. Right. Right. And then also from a creative standpoint, I think we're starting to realize that it's really important to be balanced, not just from a mental health standpoint, but also from a creativity standpoint. Like you guys have this podcast where you're talking to people from various walks of life because that's what you really want to do. That's what you want to talk about. That's a good point. And yeah, being because... in a hospital and taking care of patients. Go ahead, please. Yeah, definitely a creative outlet. I mean, having some income would be great, but you know, we did it because we were just tied to the, the nine to five, not nine, nine to five. The, it keeps us sane. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It's a creative outlet. So I think cause people take for granted, I think doctors are these monolith creatures that just want to do medicine. They have no goals and aspirations outside of, you know, what they do on a day to day basis. So, um, I want to transition into your humanitarian work. So you mentioned that you yeah. do a lot of traveling. I think locums is probably the best, outlet for that. So what are some of the places you've been and things that you've done outside of the country? Yeah. So me and my wife, so I'm, my family's from Ghana, West Africa, and um, we do humanitarian work in Ghana. So we're with an organization called International Healthcare Volunteers. Um, hey, if you guys are interested in coming, we'd love to have you guys come. But it started about 15 years ago. Yeah. Started 15 years ago as primarily a women's health uh, humanitarian trip. And it started mainly because um, the guy who started it, he's from Ghana. He left Ghana at an early age and he went to go visit Ghana and he, his niece was pregnant. He went home and found out uh, later on that his, his niece died during childbirth, mm. which is way more prevalent 
in third world countries than here, right? That's a major issue if someone dies of, um, you know, maternal, or excuse me, while delivering a woman dies. But over there, it's almost commonplace. So when he called and, and tried to investigate, basically they were just like, look, man, come on, like you left, right? There's this huge brain drain in United from the, you know from Ghana to you know overseas, and they don't come back, and they're just like, look, like come on, right? You left. So he decided to put you know to take charge and started his organization. And you know for the past four or five years, me and my wife have been involved. She's OB, and when I go to, I don't really do trauma surgery at all. I do general surgery, and it is as I want the audience to really understand that it is as close to a professional reboot as you can get. You right. have patients who will walk you know, over two hours to come and see the doctors from the U.S., the amount of pain medications that they, or the lack of pain medications um, that, you know, they are able to tolerate. And I'm not saying that we deprive, I'm just saying that, you know, we can't bring like many opioids over, but over, but mm -hmm. they can tolerate Tylenol, Motrin, you know, even like just some Tramadol. And they're very thankful for that. Right. Um, the care yeah. that we're able to give them. So when you come back to the United States and you look at like, the amount of waste that we use, that we are doing, the amount of labs that we inappropriately order, pain medications that we inappropriately order, procedures that we inappropriately do. That's why I say when I go overseas, it's literally like a professional reboot and you realize, wow, like this is how I always wanted to why practice. I had to right. interrupt. I love how you said professional reboot because when I was a fellow, I did a lot of work uh, overseas as well. And uh, you know, anyone will ask, say, what are you doing? Are you looking to get a photo op? What, what, what are you trying to do here? I said, no, you don't understand. It's just pure medicine. I mean, I, you know, there are people who would wait hours in the hot tropical sun. There's some people who would pay you in a chicken. I mean, I kid you not. But sure. there's no one, there's no one there that's complaining like Popeyes, uh, about though, waiting. Like on, real it wasn't the Popeye's fried chicken, no. Okay. It, and then it was the chicken sandwich. I'll love. take it. Uh, it was such a pure, pure medicine, right? Because people, you're not worried about being sued. You're not worried about EMR. You're not worried about how many uh, review systems they check off in a box uh, or how many uh, findings on physical exam. It's pure medicine and it's pure joy. Um, and I tell you that uh, I, the, the way you described the professional reboot, it was very actually inspiring to me. Um, and I actually hope, you know, what happens now is you get older, you have a kid. Now I got a puppy, a uh, wife, you get a mortgage. Uh, and you think, well, I got to keep working. I'll, keep, I'll do it next year. I'll do it next year. So uh, I think you're inspiring me to maybe take a break, you know, and, and look into getting back and reconnecting um, into some more pure aspects of medicine. Because I think, what, as you mentioned, I'll tell you, from my parents' generation, from my father-in-law's generation, that was where it was like medicine for 30, 40 years straight, you know, um, and uh, not a whole lot outside of medicine sometimes. So I like what you said about balances, too. That's extremely important. So I can, we can definitely appreciate that. Definitely appreciate that. And I, I think it boils quickly. I'll say it boils down for us, you know, yeah. in terms of, you know, that's the reason why we paid off our debt so much so quickly um, and is so that we can do things like that. Uh, sure. We rent. We don't have a big house. We are we live very modestly, seriously, right now. Like we live very modestly, and we know that we're going to take a hit financially when we do these things. So mm -hmm. as a result, we've you know really lowered our our expenses so that if we need to take a trip like this, you know, one since we're complete locums, we don't really have to answer to anybody, and then also at the same time, you know, we can take the hit from a financial standpoint um, with that. And that's the other big thing too that I try to encourage um, doctors is look if you can. Try to decrease your expenses. Try to pay off your sure. debt as much as possible because the less you have to go to work and be forced to do things that you don't want to do, the more power and leverage you get. It allows you to walk away from things that you normally wouldn't do. 
I think it's all, that's a whole fire, right, um, uh, oh, yeah. uh, movement. The financial independence, retire early. I don't think any of us believe necessarily want to retire early, but the idea of having financial independence, not working because you need money, work, you know, but working because what you love uh, is very empowering. So I can appreciate that. And I think a lot of docs fall in the trap of, from resident to attending, their lifestyle just explodes, right? Big car, big house. Uh, who was it said more money, so more says, problems, Clinton? Yeah. Uh, that's right. But anyway, uh, so says the. It was Biggie, man. Was Biggie, Biggie. Come on, he said, "My God, that was a my joke, you idiot." <laughs> <laughs> but very wise, very wise words there. Very wise words there for everyone listening. Um, so, what do you think the trends are? What do you see as the trends as far as uh, like things that doctors do outside of medicine? Is it like real estate? Is it uh, you know what? What are the things that you see? Because you you talk to most of the people. I think the biggest thing right now is, like you said, is that passive income. So real estate is huge right okay. now. I think also, um, not just from real estate, I think what people are starting to see now is telehealth. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to bring in additional income without having to be in the hospital. Um, I think the biggest thing also, too, is learning to really control your finances and your expenses so that you can say no and have the leverage. And then obviously, I think doctors were last to get to the table of this creativity um, mm. uh, movement, which is creating stuff for other people to consume, i.e. podcast, YouTube, YouTube just right. being an influencer. I think those are the really big four things that a lot of people are jumping on with, you know, like I said, the last thing being an influencer in some form or fashion. So I want to get into some serious stuff, if that's OK with you. So um, let's do it. Let's do um, it. Come on now. Right I just wanted to. You know, thank you for your, your last podcast. You actually, uh, I've subscribed, but you also sent me a message about it and to listen. You know, yeah. it was it was really powerful and impactful, especially something like this, you know, during these times. So how's the experience as far as what's going on and, you know, as far as race relations um, in America and actually around the world? I was surprised to see other countries, you know, protesting, you know, so it. It lets us know that we're not on the island, but how has all this like impacted you and how you're working and, you know, your, your, your outlook on it? You know, it's a very sobering um, and, and humbling uh, situation to see people throughout, you know, people in New Zealand yeah. protesting about this, uh, people in Africa. There's no and, black people in New Zealand. You know, you know, they're right. Like, <laughs> right. You know, it's you real know but they, they, they see what's wrong. Right. right. And. You know, it's you know, when I when I did this recording, I wish I had done it earlier. Right. But it's the recording. You know, it started off with me giving a timeline of right. all of these major things. And you guys you guys are from this area. So, you know, of this stuff. Right. Michael yeah. Stewart and Eleanor Bumpers. And, sure. you know, you know, the all names, these things the ages, that like happen. Yeah, we we see it. You so, remember this stuff. right? I know. But we see it so separately when you put it all together. It's like, wow, it's 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 amazing. But it's tragic. You know, it's a, so right. No but you remember to... those were the big things at that time. Right. They were really big, big, yeah. you know, and that's the problem. That's the two things. The big problem with racism is the, it's systematic, but it's so insidious. Right. Right. So you can always explain it away. Well, this is what happened to this person. Well, was he fighting back? Right. Did he have cocaine in the system? Right. Was it this? Was it this? Why did he do that? And it just came. It comes to a point where you're just like, I'm basically my life is not as important as other people. Yeah. You know, I've learned it at a very early age. And if I don't do the right things when I'm with my, you know, when if I'm stopped by the police, my life can end just like that and nothing will happen. No accountability. It's a very um, it's a gut punch 
it's a very difficult pill to swallow when when you explain it to other people they it's really hard for them to understand um you know so f- to have this be consistently in the news um you know consistently seen you know with protests i'm a little bit positive but also at the same time i'm a little little, little bit cynical because the true action i think you know what's really going to change people is what happens in two months when this is not on the national right. scale anymore? What happens when the NFL season begins and all eyes are looking at certain players and they take a knee during the national anthem and the president is putting pressure on this and all these different you know, fraternal order of police are saying we're not going to come to the games? Is it still going to be popular to say Black Lives Matter, right? That's where I'm really going to be like, okay, I'm going to be paying attention. So to see what's going on now is great. But I really want to see action when it's not popular anymore. I want people to know, like, listen, like this, we've seen this before. We haven't seen it as big as this, but we've seen these major events where people are really pissed off and then it right. just dies off and so forth. So, you know, I, I um, you know, like I said, it's, it's you know, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you just accept. Right. And now that I have a three year old and I have a nine month old, I look at my three year old and, you know, it's just like. When are we going to have this talk? Yeah. Is it going to be at five or is it going to be at you know well, seven? What, what do you think is our, our responsibility as physicians, right? I mean, so not just as uh, American citizens who are outraged, but as physicians, do we have a special responsibility? Because I know the Infectious Disease Society of America said, look, racism is not just a social issue. It's a public health issue, right? And because we've talked about before in the uh, discrepancies in, in access from medicine, et cetera. But as a doctor, what do you think are our responsibilities? I mean, to address this specifically within the realm of medicine, if any. Much like I blame, you know, I give some of the blame to good cops who don't say anything about the bad cops. I think from a physician standpoint, we've abdicated our ability to advocate for our patients. We've completely abdicated that. And that's a shame. Like we should be on the front lines of this 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago saying that, listen, there's a significant portion of our population that is dying unnecessarily. Like, I, I, I mean, it is at the point where life insurance may have to start rating black men's uh, insurance and say, look, like this, this is a predisposition like to you dying early. You know, right. so for me, I'm just like physicians really should be on the forefront of this and saying that this is a public health crisis Correct. that yeah. people are dying. We need to be speaking up white, black. Whatever uh, your background is from a physician standpoint, this is a major issue, much like hypertension and so forth. We need right. to be on the forefront of this. And unfortunately, we've just kind of just said, ah, you know, whatever happens in the hospital is what I'm going to be focused on. Let everybody else kind of handle it. So you think, unfortunately- it's the AM- you think it's the AMA or who is it that's abdicated uh, the responsibility? I think, us ind- I think us individually as physicians, I think us collectively as physicians, and that means also the AMA, the AOA, we've just been like, well, well you know, whatever happens, happens, right? And you can't say that it hasn't happened even also from a business, from a, a public health standpoint with Medicare and Medicaid. We sure. just said, we'll focus on what happens in a hospital and we'll let everybody else handle it. And that's why we're in this situation, even if from a, a reimbursement standpoint, is we haven't decided to speak out on these things. Things are changing now, but we haven't decided to speak out on this. And obviously from a from a, uh, a health disparity issue, we haven't spoke out enough about it. And then obviously from what you see on the streets, we haven't spoke out on it. And it's a shame. You know, I couldn't agree more. I'll tell you just the reason I asked you that question. Um, I follow these message boards for IDSA and Infectious Society of America, et cetera. And, you know, there was some arguments going back and forth, people saying, well, why are, is there a political slant to our discussions? Or why does these professional societies that, that represent the infectious disease physicians, why are they having political um, 
uh, statements. You know, we should just focus on the science. And I think racism is a public health issue and we absolutely need to talk about it. We cannot just exist in a vacuum and talk about viruses and bacteria and just hope everything else works out together. You know, I mean, social aspects of medicine are just as important as pharmacology, virology, whatever it might be. And I, I think um, I agree with you. I think I was actually realizing, of course, that's what how it should be. But that's probably not how it has been done. You know, and I think that is actually was shocking to me that, yes, you know, we fight for different things. But I, I haven't seen a lot of that uh, from physician led societies uh, really speaking out. Maybe now, but that's a little too late. You know, it's, it should have been gone, been doing all along, certainly. So I yeah. think we have a lot to work to do. In that. I think as soon as you politicize race, the you the, the, the battle is, is is hard to fight. Right. The same thing happened with you know, Kaepernick taking the knee. As soon as they made it about the flag, was it was no longer about race anymore. So, uh, you know, I think the same thing applies now. It's no longer, it's becoming less about race. It's more about, you know, riots and protests, right? So, you know, I, I, see, people as, I see people angry about riots than they are about the treatment of black and brown people, which is, you know, mind-boggling to me. You didn't see that outrage when... Correct, know, correct, yeah. The guy had a knee on his neck and it was pulseless for for six minutes and two minutes he had the knee on his neck still. Right. So that, you know, that's to me, that's eye opening and shocking at the same time. So but I, I think back to what we were saying about um, responsibility, I think it's the individual responsibility of the physicians. You can't rely on, you know, these big system and organizations to try to change the way things are because, you know, their interest is not. The individual people their interest is probably at the end of the day money and, and politics so well that's a sombering point but i think uh well taken that we need to have more responsibility you know i i long for the days where physicians were true leaders in the community you know and not just a quite frankly a cog in the wheel that a lot of times we feel like at least us not as in a situation like yours um but you know what what, what else what else can we uh what else can we do you think as physicians i mean we talked about a little bit about your entrepreneurship working uh, locum tenant working locum tenants outside the box um but what about creatively health-wise what else do you do you know just to keep yourself sane in these crazy times i mean i know you have a lot going on it sounds like but i, I suspect you're doing other things as well what else you have me i'm just uh, i'm continuing to uh you know just to uh, expand what I'm doing on the show. You know, mm -hmm. the, the initially with the show, I was really focused on doctors who were doing cool things outside of medicine. Right. Um, but I've really started to focus on what we're talking about right now, which are topics outside of the box, right? right? Topics that may not, they may have a little bit of a health spin on it, but they have more of a societal spin on it. So talking about things that doctors don't normally talk about, because, you know, I think the key question that you said is, what else can we do? Right. What we can do is you start talking about things, putting our voice to things, stop letting other people tell our stories, right? And that's for everybody. Like if you are a neurosurgeon, tell your story. If you are an internal medicine doctor, you know, from a rural area, tell your story. Don't let other people tell your story. So that's why I've been encouraging a lot of people, start your own podcast or start your own YouTube channel, you know, start speaking out, you know, uh, whatever it may be, you know, and you, if you're, if you're against you know, um, you know what people are saying now. That's fine, but just speak out on it. If you're for, speak out on it. So I think that's the most important thing we can tell people is just like, look, like, just like Dr. Clinton said, like, stop waiting for you know these some large entity to tell you, a do a do b do c, and then we'll have this harmony. Just be a change agent on your own, and whatever it may be, you know, whether it's a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, you know, just start. And because usually, you know especially you and me, Dr. Darko, we're like the smartest people in the room. 
So when, wait a minute, when, wait a minute. When doctors in the room, so I think we can use that leverage to try to fix other problems outside of medicine. And I think uh, I think Clinton's a med student. Are you, even a, are you even a doctor at all? Are you attending? Well, let's let's zoom in on those plaques behind it. Because you can't even figure all, out how to do a Phoenix podcast without online? your landscaper. Uh, <laughs> without your landscaper, every time we do the podcast, he's got landscapers. Not in out the there. office, and I, I, yeah, I know. Every it, it, it makes it real. It makes it more. It real. makes it every yeah. without fail. Without fail, you can zoom in my. You can zoom in my my plaques later. I got my high school diploma up there, and uh, I think my middle school diploma maybe as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know you gotta go soon, but. Um, any parting words, or I, I really want to promote your uh, your show. Where can people find you and subscribe? And you have a YouTube channel or social media? YouTube channel yet, but we're working on that. But you can follow me basically on all social media as Dr. Nidarko. So that's D R N as in Nancy, I I D A R K O. And then for the podcast, anywhere where you can get music, um, you know, anywhere you know with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, Stitcher Radio. I don't even know if anybody still listens to that, but anywhere where you can get, you know, your favorite podcast, that's where I'm at. MySpace. My parting words are yeah, MySpace. My you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my that's my, my parting words are: Listen, everyone. Like now is the time, really, to take a stand. Now is the time, you know, to really take some action. You know, this is an opportunity to be creative with your voice, be creative with your online presence. And um, if you're worried about being perfect, that's the wrong thing. Really focus on the process. Really focus on coming back every day and helping someone, whether you, you stutter when you talk or whether you don't feel like really comfortable in front of a camera, it doesn't matter. You never know who you're going to help, right? You never know who's on the other side. So I always just tell people, stop worrying about being perfect. Just start. Don't worry about anything else. Just start. You never know who you're going to touch. Well said, well said. Well, we'd like to thank Dr. Nick Darko, host of Docs Outside the Box, for joining us. Um, as you can tell, he's a, he's a special man. So um, you know, please check him out on his, his, his podcast. Also subscribe and follow him on all the social media. Um, Dr. Sugger is going to sign us out, right? As you're... You, well, as always, we appreciate our. Be well. We appreciate our guests. We really do. And you know, I'll leave us with a little quote here from my hero, Mahatma Gandhi, which is, "Be the change that you seek in the world." I think that's something we can all uh, take to heart. So, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, on behalf of me and my sidekick, Dr. Clinton Coleman, sidekick. we got to recommend a daily dose. And until next time, be well.